0: Thank you. tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call one 914 9149 as any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called
1: father simon says on relevant radio
0: hello hello Hello, here we are for Adventures in Scripture. Dum-da-da-dum. Let's see here. i got to eliminate stuff. All right. Where were we? Oh, the, the uh, praying, that's where we are. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful, by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Okay. Today, of course, we have the first reading from the book of Jonah. Jonah. And we're going to explain some of it um, because the gospel needs some explaining too. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Remember, Jonah had uh, uh, said, No way, Lord, am I going to Nineveh. Now, you got to understand Nineveh. Nineveh was the, uh, uh, the capital of of the assyrian empire it was assyrian and at that time the assyrians were really you can make the point that they are the first true international empire they were bound and determined not just to dominate their own world but to to expand into as many nations as they, they could conquer and they practiced what we would call ethnic cleansing Uh, They would come into a territory and deport everybody they could, especially the upper classes and the skilled classes. They would deport them, and then they would fill their places with people from other parts of their empire, because if you took people from their land, you took them from their gods, and if you took them from their gods, you took them from their ethnicity, and they could be made citizens of the empire instead of Samaritans or Hittites or... Canaanites, a so Punicite, uh, so that was the idea. They they were very frightening people, and uh, you know I know lots of Assyrians now. They are wonderful people, and I will get into that as as we get along. Uh, but to ask Jonah to go preach in Assyria would be like asking a rabbi to go to Berlin, 1943, and start preaching Torah on the streets. That that, it wasn't going to work. So Jonah said, I'm not going, and he got in a ship and decided to go as far away from the Lord as he could, but he couldn't get away from the Lord. And uh, he was cast overboard and swallowed by a, a whale, swallowed by a great fish. And then uh, we have in the second chapter of the book of Jonah, the beautiful prayer of Jonah from the belly of the whale. Out of my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the womb of Shaul. In other words, the depth of the underworld, I cried for help. You know, all this thing, well, how could Jonah live in the belly? Somebody pointed out to me, doesn't say that he was alive. He may have been spit up on on the shore dead. And I I don't know I wasn't there you know I, I'm interested in what the Holy Spirit's saying in this book because it's problematic there's no archaeological <coughs> uh, or historical or, or documentary evidence that uh, that Jonah was uh, uh, or that, that Assyria the capital of Assyria Nineveh ever turned to the God of Abram Isaac and Jacob so we're going to go on with that. Um, I don't know if this is history or parable. As I say, I wasn't there. I take it as history in order to understand what the Lord is saying. So and remember I, I, I shared with you the idea that, that, of course, the world was created in six days. The universe was created in six days from God's perspective. We may look at it and see 14 billion years, but God looks and he sees six days. Remember, the world wasn't created in seven days, was created in six, according to Scripture. And that's an important part of the meaning. This may be parable, but it's still the Holy Spirit speaking. It may be history, and if it's history, it's still the Holy Spirit speaking. So uh, the historicity of this document, I am not going to get into that. As I say, I wasn't there. Now, the, the Ninevites were, were very frightening people. And and the Assyrians were really something. And the fascinating thing about this book is that Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to repent. Jonah did not want God to love the Ninevites. This is an important element of this story. Uh, Okay, so, and by the way, there definitely was a prophet, Jonah. He's mentioned elsewhere in the scriptures well he gets spit up you know and god says i'm not done with you the word of the lord came to jonah a second time that first time was when he got thrown out of the ship um and swallowed by the great by the whale some translations this translation says a great fish and spit up on the shore so uh, it talks about his going through this huge uh nineveh city and the king of nineveh the king of the assyrians rose from his throne and laid aside his robe. Now, there are lots of Assyrians in the world today. My former barber back when I lived in Skokie was an Assyrian. His wife was a wonderful cook. Lovely people and very, very, very Christian. Uh, they are committed uh, to the faith and they have, they have maintained their commitment to the faith in the face of a millennium at least of persecution so they're really impressive people. Well, let's go to the gospel here. While still more people gathered in the crowd, what what, what crowd are we talking about here? Well, the the uh, um, this is Jesus is is casting out a demon and uh um a mute spirit and he said they were criticizing by the power of Beelzebul, prince of demons. He drives out demons and he says if then I drive out demons by Beelzebul, uh which can be translated uh, uh, the Lord of Zebul or <laughs> Belzebub, it can be translated also Lord of the Flies. Uh, if I drive them out therefore they will be your judges, your own people drive them out. Then he says in verse twenty, but if it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So these are the people who are criticizing him. They're committing the sin against the spirit by refusing to recognize the Holy Spirit and admit what the Holy Spirit's doing. And he he says, if by the finger of God, what's this finger of God business? It was by the finger of God that Moses defeated the magicians of Pharaoh. It's by the finger of God that the commandments were written. So Jesus is saying that I'm the power that liberated Israel, and I am the power that wrote the the law, the Torah comes from me. Can you imagine that? If it is by the finger of God, then I drive out demons. So, all right, let's get back to our our chapter here. Let me click on this, and or um, right. so now we're in Luke eleven twenty nine thirty two, and then more people are coming around. This is an amazing thing. Jesus cast out this mute demon, and this generation is an evil generation. And people say, oh, he he did it by the power of Beelzebul. Uh I'm, I'm sure I've shared this with you, and don't try this at home. Uh, but uh, the ancient world, they believed that you could cast out demons by getting the name of a bigger, stronger demon who would scare the little demon away. And, of course, <laughs> it's a good way to get yourself possessed. Don't fool with this stuff. Please, don't fool with this stuff. Uh, it is, you know, read the scriptures, say the rosary, and the prayer to St. Michael, that's all you need. All right, moving along. Uh, so, uh, and be in a state of grace, by the way. I've never met an exorcist who didn't say that one good confession is worth a thousand exorcisms. All right, moving along here. Um, the uh, He says, just as Jonah became assigned to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And then he goes into, the Queen of the South will rise with the men of this generation, and she will condemn it. And uh, the men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it. Now, when he says generation, I don't think he's referring to the twenty, thirty years uh the, the people, the hearers uh, of his, of his words, would be alive and and having families. You know, generation, twenty to thirty years. That's basically how long it takes to pass on the civilization. You have kids, uh, especially back then, in your twenties. And you stop in your late thirties, so that's a generation. But he's talking about a type of a type of person, a generation. We're the same generation as they are because we are of the same nature: cynical, worldly, self-centered, and and uh, and not very trusting of God. Uh, at least that's the generation that I've lived in. Uh, maybe not you. All right. So. The son of man will be assigned to this generation as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites. And then he launches into the queen of the South. That means the queen of Sheba. Uh, She came from the area of what is probably from the area was now Yemen, which means South. She came from uh, probably the horn of Africa and the South, South uh, West corner of Saudi Arabia. Uh, There was a political system there. Well, that's who, who she is. And what, what Jesus is saying is that the sign of Jonah is not just the resurrection. It's the resurrection and the power of the resurrection that brought the gospel throughout the world. Think about it. There's no way to explain the early church except for the resurrection. These men who were cowards didn't just go back to fishing and farming and their tax, their tax job, their, their internal revenue job back in the North. They, they, they went out and spread the gospel. They became fearless. Why? Because they had seen a man rise from the dead, and death no longer frightened them. They were fearless because they did not fear death itself. That's 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 saying something. Death is a frightening reality. I remember a dear lady who called not long ago on the, on the, uh, I think it was on the Family Rose. No, I think it was on this show. And she was talking about being frightened of death, and I said, so am I. It's a frightening possibility. We don't know anything about it. Well, Jesus taught us about it. And those disciples, they were fearless because they did not fear death and they spread the gospel throughout the world. So the sign of Jonah, uh, the sign that Jonah became to the Ninevites was saying that God loved them. And he didn't, he wanted them all to be destroyed by God. But God didn't want to destroy them, he loved them. And, and uh, uh, the book of Jonah ends with Jonah grieving over a, a, a gourd vine that he that had grown up to give him shade. And the Lord said, you're more concerned about that vine than you are the city of Nineveh. They're mine. I made them. There. I love them. The cat, even the cattle. So um, uh, that's the sign of Jonah, the universality of the church. In other words, this universal church to which we belong, you know, when people say, well, I'm an American Catholic, I'm not an American Catholic, I'm a Catholic in America, I'm a German Catholic, I'm not a German Catholic, well, I'm a Catholic in America, <laughs> a German background, you know, uh, the, the, but, but if some were to say, I'm a Polish Catholic, I'm a German Catholic, I'm a, no, you're a Catholic in Poland or in Germany or in Italy, the, the, we are universal, we confess our, our solidarity and our, our familial relationship to every human being in the world, especially those who have given their lives to Christ. So um, at, the, at the judgment, the men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it. They certainly will. The men of Nineveh, I've known some of the men of Nineveh and some of the women of Nineveh, the Assyrians, and they live lives of great commitment to Christ. And they will certainly rise up and say, We suffered, we were persecuted, we were martyred for Christ's sake. You didn't bother to go to Mass on Sunday because it was inconvenient. You know, they will rise up. People, the Christians of, of, of uh, Ethiopia, who also have faced great difficulties in the heart of Africa, they'll rise up. Uh, um, the, so many people will rise up who suffered greatly. And you and I who suffer barely for Christianity, well, what will we have to say? they've given their lives to Christ in a very real way, and maybe you and I have not. So I think this is an important important thing that uh, uh, that we remember. This generation is an evil generation that seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it uh, except the sign of Jonah. Within a lifetime, within one long lifetime, the news of Christ's resurrection is spread from England to India, and it's spread from Germany to the heart of Africa. That, that the gospel was being preached throughout the world, and it still is, you know, that we may turn our backs on it, but the Africans haven't, the Asians haven't, the Latinos in South America have, haven't. We, who have all that we think we need, we'll turn our backs on the Lord. But people throughout the world still call on his name and trust him for salvation. All right, I can't think of anything else I want to say about this. Um, but let's let's go to a break, and we'll come back with with letters, lots and lots of letters, and of course my comp- that computer just turned off. But I got a break. We'll 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 get it all going. I hope eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four 9149. We shall return, God willing. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. The chicken dance. The chicken dance in, in Germany is actually called the duck dance, the Entedance. And you haven't seen the chicken dance done till you've seen it done by my cousin, the lovely Valtraut. Well, the chicken dance, I'm not making this up. The chicken dance was used... As a communion hymn. Nip it the in Church the of, bud. Nip it in the bud in the town of Christ, uh, of uh, Ruzdorf, Christ the King Parish in, uh, I think it's Rustof, uh which means village of rest, if I'm correct in my German. I'm praying that this is the low point in the liturgy. And, you know, uh, uh, the point was made to me that liturgical abuse is not a function of the Old Mass or the New Mass. And the point is absolutely correct. I uh, I think the abuse of the Old Mass was sometimes the speed and the sloppiness with which it was done. But the Old Mass uh, didn't lend itself to liturgical abuse beyond that. And sometimes it was really, you know... Um, I, seriously, in the Old Mass, I, I in my youth, I remember... Masses that took all of 10 minutes, and the priest got out of there as soon as he could. Um, a lot of times, because he had to fast for midnight and was starving. But, um, you know, the idea that liturgical abuse is one or the other. Um, no, liturgical abuse, I think, comes from the narcissism of the clergy. Uh, that if a priest does not realize that this is something bigger than he is, uh, and uh, you know, I, th- I think it's easier uh, to to abuse the new liturgy in a way because there are more opportunities for uh, spontaneity in the new mass. You do in the old mass the only opportunity for spontaneity was the speed with which you did things and the sermon. But now you you have commentary and you have the prayers of the faithful in addition to the sermon, even if you do it kosher by the book. And the the um, the music, of course, is the great bugaboo for me. But to me, you know, this oh. this use of a song like the chicken dance. I'm not making this up. Look up chicken dance. Uh, uh, what would be good? Chicken dance, Mass, Germany, YouTube. I imagine you'll find it. But... Um, you know, we were talking about that yesterday. Uh, what was this? Has been a day at Relevant Radio to discuss liturgical music. What were the other instances, dear voice in my head?
1: Oh well, this is live on the Inner Life today. We talked about sacred music, and we had a great caller call in to ask about um, Sister Act because you know the plot of Sister Act is to you know use um,
0: you know. 60s uh, songs at mass and change them and change them into uh, into songs about God. So and so Father Spencer was on to talk about you know
1: well that's what we're trying to avoid making the trying to make the profane sacred.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we were talking exactly about that the other day. That I, the Lord your God, am holy, and that word means separate. And when we try to imitate or ape the 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 silliness of the world, you know, the chicken dance is a lot of fun. It isn't sacred. It isn't It isn't the thing set apart. Well, we shouldn't be the thing. Other things should set us apart. No, human beings live in the flesh, and um, um, sacredness has to touch every part of the human person. And, you know, uh, my classmate, Father, you know, we never play the, the Father Branken theme music anymore, do we? That's, uh, what was that? That was the, the Darth Vader Darth theme. Darth Vader, but, uh, that predated yeah. me. That yeah, predated you. We'll have to. We'll have to resurrect the, the, the Father Branken theme music. But my classmate Father Branken. What was I going to say about him? Um. Uh, his idea of the sacred. Oh, good grief! Oh, that that um. Uh, the 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 idea that somehow we need to make the liturgy, uh, more common, more more. Uh, Available to people, he makes the point you know, somebody coming into church looking at some guy and who's doing something completely foreign to him. Oh, that's the Darth Vader music he's coming up. Is that it? I don't know. That's the Father Branken theme song. Yes. But, you know, a person comes into a mass where the priest is, is, is. Doing it by the book, and and you know that that, that uh, this is a solemn action. There's chant, there's there's incense, there's beauty. Um, he's going to say, these people, what what are they doing? They're either crazy or they're onto something. And and I I think that that's the point that that liturgy should invite us into a world that is more beautiful than the world in which we're living. Chicken dance is fun. It ain't beautiful, believe me, especially not when I try to do it. So just a thought out the liturgy, but I just was alarmed and praying to God that this is the low point, but I'm afraid it isn't. All right, moving along here. Let us uh, go to letters. We, we already, did we always say letters? I don't think we, there we go. I got a, a letter from, from Allie about, about a really interesting, uh, I think it was from the Catholic News Agency, on raising Catholic kids, and one of the it's it's a long article, so I of course can't can't read the whole thing, but um, uh, um, the idea of passing the faith on to the next generation, and I think that you know in my experience that this article really resonated with some things that um, if you can discuss the faith with your kids, and I think um, paying people for religious education has been well counterproductive. Um, uh, you know, I drop my kids off at church and they go to religious ed. I pay for it. And these are the requirements and okay, kid, you know, my experience when people do that eighth confirmation is kind of graduation. They're done. They don't have to go back anymore. We at St. at St. Lambert's, we changed very significantly. In fact, we, we moved the sacraments to fall the first communion and confirmation, and people were indignant. You have to have communion on Mother's Day. Why would you do it in fall? Because in fall, that's when you begin things. In the school season starts. Vacation is over. In spring, you have graduations when things are over. And that's why we did it. And we did a number of things like that, but the most significant thing we did was we had uh, we were kind of cheating. We had a confirmation class or we had confession class as part of our religious ed uh, program, but first communion class was was homeschool. What? Yeah, it was really the same class. We gave it to them in school, but you know we had the the parents. Oh, and the parents were in. Indignant. You mean I have to t- train, prepare my child for first communion? People would say, "When is my child can be ready for first communion?" I say, "When you train him, when you teach him," and they were indignant. But then they found out they loved it, and we had a mentor who once a month we had kind of all the parents come in, and and they learned how to do the the religion class at home, and the idea was that at dinner or after dinner you you did the lesson, and the idea was. We tried to start a dialogue with parents and children about their faith, and it worked. You know, I've always said the, 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 the sign of success in a religious education program is when an adolescent male goes to church in July while his parents are away. That's a success, and we had that. Now, I think it's gone the way of all flesh because most religious ed teachers can't can't get away from the, the public school Dewey system uh, of eighth grades. And I don't think kids learn that way, but that's just uh, me grinding another ax. But the idea is if you start a conversation with your kids about the faith, that conversation will go on the rest of their life. Instead of, if I drop you off at church and I pay somebody to do this, how come you're not going to church no more? Because it wasn't part of their life. Another element, and I think mentions in this article, if you if you pray with your kids, you know, you pray the night prayers with them when they're little. And I have found that the rosary uh, was really, the family rosary, it really works, but you have to start it when they're like one or six months. It has to be, well, it's, we've just had dinner. We've discussed the, the lesson for today. My father used to try to make us read uh, a lesson from scripture during Advent and Lent. We hated it, <laughs> but it worked. I'm I'm hooked on scripture, uh, but uh, uh, we're done with dinner. We're done with our, our, our 10 minutes of religious ed. That's all it takes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Let's, let's end with the family rosary or the family rosary before you go to bed. If you start that when the children are very, very little, um, you can try it when they're older. <laughs> you know, your dad and I are going to pray the rose. You want to join us? I, I don't think you can uh, really, you certainly can't force your 30-year-old children to do it, but if you start them off when they're you know, six months. It's something that really catches. So thanks for the letter. I think it's, it's. you know, if, if kids do not learn their religious life at home, they're not going to learn it. You cannot pay someone to... Um, Uh, You can't pay someone to educate your children, religious, religion-wise. Here's a a little communication that came from Debbie about, uh, as a question about Father Rocky's series on the Mass, and Lenten Lessons on the Mass, again, is a wonderful series, so you can go to the website and get it easy. All right, I have a question about the Roman Missal. Does each priest have his own missile, or does he use the missile provided at the church? I would think most priests actually do have their own Roman missile. I, I've got my own. But um, when you're saying Mass, it, oh, I've never seen any priest bring his own Roman Missal. Uh, um, uh, there's one in each church, and that's usually on the altar, and it's provided. So uh the priest may own his own, but when we say Mass, I, we, we use the missile that belongs to the parish. Uh, so there you go. Uh, let's see here. Oh, oh, did I? Oh no, I thought I lost my other letters here. Heaven forfend! Now, where did I put my spectacles? I got them here. There they are. All right. Um. Okay. Uh, let's see. I I I mentioned this yesterday about Jesus fasting for forty days, and I I managed to look things up. You can you can live without food for well over a month. You can't live without water, uh, but you can live without food. So Jesus may have actually fasted 40 days without eating anything. Uh, Of course, there's supernatural intervention too. But um, yeah, I think when the scripture says he fasted 40 days, the scripture means it. Okay, Uh, right. Where was I? I got a very kind letter from Kathleen uh, about explaining... um, uh, marriage is suffering. It's, I don't know if I want to say suffering, but it's, it's a life of sacrifice. All right. Moving along here. This is one from, um, uh, I I dealt with this one, the passion translation of the Bible. It's really a paraphrase and not a translation. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, get too involved with this. Now this is anonymous. Um, let's see here. She works at a large you know, big box store, and a coworker showed me an invoice sheet that had listed on Pride Motorcycles, another pride labeled figure, a rainbow, which were stocked on the shelves of our garden center. Um, so, um, you know, that, that um this is a problem. You know, we're we're dealing with this uh, this is nothing different than the early church had to deal with. I mean that that the sexuality of the, of the Greco-Roman Empire was was very different from uh, 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 the, the the morality of of, of Judaism. Uh, um, I'm clicking away here. I want to find a scripture uh, section, but the idea that that somehow uh, the early church had to live in this world of of uh, absolute immorality, uh, which included slavery, uh, uh, included uh, same-sex marriage. Nero married his boyfriend, the Emperor Nero. Um, these are not new things. Scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. And into the world came this religion that, Preached a very, very limited sexual morality, and so how do you live in the world? Well, first Saint Paul said to the community in Corinth, and Corinth was a place that was a very—it was a very immoral place. To to be uh, sexually promiscuous uh, was to play the Corinthian. It was noted for its immorality. So uh, Saint Paul established a church there that lasts to this day. So. We read in 1 Corinthians 5.10, not all, uh, let's see here, I wrote you in my letter, this is 1 Corinthians 5.9, not to associate with sexually immoral people. I was not including the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing, don't associate with anyone who claims to be a brother but is sexually immoral, uh, that, that uh, within the church, we live to a high standard. Um but I, I think we need to understand this: this First Corinthians five nine that we treat everyone that we meet in the world with respect and with uh, with courtesy and kindness. You know that that how often have I told you that we may be the only Bible that people read? I think people who are are caught in in any immorality uh, of any stripe, you know, be it adultery. Uh, or or drunkenness or or drug addiction or or embezzlement you know saint paul mentions uh the greedy the swindlers the idolaters that that anyone who's caught in in immorality of any kind um, is is really suffering and they may not think it but they want to get out of it and they want to be free. I've never known, for instance, a rich thief. I've known a lot of thieves in my life. I worked in poor neighborhoods, my whole ministry, until my last parish. I knew a lot of thieves. I never knew a rich thief. They were always looking over their shoulder, wondering who was going to catch up with them. I knew a lot of drug addicts. And I never knew a person who took drugs who enjoyed it. Um, they might enjoy it for a little bit, but then it becomes this horrible burden. They want freedom. And if you're going to uh, uh, be the kind of person who says, I'm not going to your store because you're immoral, well, that may not be the response the Lord is looking for. Um, I, I become very upset with, with people who claim to be Scripture scholars or moral theologians who are simply justifying their own, their own vices. But on the other hand, um, we live, as Saint Paul says, in this world. If you want to study it, First Corinthians five nine and following. You know how often have I told you when Jesus said we were to be fishers of men, what he meant? What he said? What he meant? I think was he didn't tell us this, but he meant we're we're going to be the worm on the hook, and you got to be the tastiest little worm possible. You have to uh, treat. You know, back at the soup kitchen when when I had the privilege of being the pastor of, for twenty years of a parish that had a large soup kitchen, large food pantry, all that sort of thing. Um, back at the soup kitchen, our motto was that we, we, we didn't pray with our guests. And people said, well, we got to pray with the guests. I remember there was one priest who was briefly at the parish who uh, just insisted on we pray with the guests, and that had never been the policy of the kitchen. That wasn't the purpose of the kitchen. We prayed with all the workers first before we opened up but we didn't pray with our guests because they were the most over evangelized people in the world. A lot of churches had soup kitchens and you'd go to the soup kitchen and you'd hear the sermon and you'd say the prayer and you'd sing the hymn. The street people called it singing for their supper. So we resolved not to do this. We were just going to honor the image of God. Every human being you meet is made in the image and likeness of God. And that image may be buried under, under sadness and mental illness and sin or addiction but it's still there. That's what we Catholics believe. Other religious groups believe that the sin of Adam and Eve obliterated the divine image. We Catholics, we think it's still there. It's just buried. And we, in the soup kitchen, we reverence the image of God in every one of those people. That was what we were doing. And we always had someone up in church praying, and we finished with the holy hour and benediction. Uh, that anyone was welcome to, whether they were from, whether they were our, our guests or the people who worked. Um, but our job was not to evangelize them. Our job was to honor the image of God that was buried in them. And as such, a lot of them ended up being fairly well evangelized. They didn't have to sing for their supper, as they called it. So, just some thoughts on. My long distant youth. All right, let us go to a break. We will return, God willing, with a word of the day. And we'll open the phone at 888 914 9149. 888 914 9149. Thanks to network sponsor PushPay. Pushpay offers parishes a platform for tracking donations and sacraments, overseeing schedules, mobile apps to help manage your administrative load and much more. Info at relevantradio.com pushpay. That's relevantradio.com pushpay. Let the midnight special shine a
1: light on me Let the midnight
0: About uh, the prison in uh, Sugarland. I actually have been to Sugarland prisons. They're, they're tough. That's an interesting thing about prisons. They're very noisy. It's it's kind of hellish that way. Ah, that's theme for another day. But let us go to the word of the day. You know, the word of the day here. I, I noticed something that piqued my interest in the first reading that. Uh, uh, the king of Nineveh covered himself with sackcloth, and when they say sackcloth, they mean the cloth that sacks are made out of. <laughs> That's what it is in Hebrew. And then he proclaimed throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and the nobles, everybody's going to fast. I wonder what? How do you say nobles in Hebrew? And it's kind of a neat word. It's um, it's gadol. It's it means great. The king and his great men, his great people. And and I think that's kind of interesting that the word for aristocrat, noble, in Hebrew is is simply the word for great, gadol. And well, that's true for Christians too. What did Jesus say that that uh, the one who is least among you is the greatest? <laughs> our nobility, our aristocracy, well, they were the people at the soup kitchen. Interesting. All right, let's go to phone calls. There is something that matter with your fin. Oh, my phone is fine. Sarah, what can I do for you?
1: Yes. Hello, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to ask, Father, I would like to kneel at the uh, offertory, but if I do, I don't want to offend anybody, you know, because we usually sit. But yeah. I just feel like I really want to kneel and, you know, when okay. Jesus, you know, you're offering, you know, the body and blood, you know, to begin the... Yeah, sure. um, yeah. So I don't know. Is, would I be offending
0: anybody or is it it's very simple? Go, it's a free country. You can do what you want, but don't oh, okay. do it for a show. And people no, might think it's no, a show. No, I, no, I yeah. know you're saying it's not. No, you're saying it's not that, that I think, you know, when people kneel for communion, which I think is, I don't have a problem with that. Other people mm-hmm. think, well, <laughs> I'm reminded of a joke, but I'll tell it later. The, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know that they people might think, wow, they they're just so holy. You know, right? Uh, so if you want to kneel, go towards the back of the church to kneel. Well, yeah, I usually sit there. I mean, in the back. Yeah, if you sit so, in the back, I mean, that's where right. I Yeah. So, but I, I feel I don't mm-hmm. think it's a problem. I don't think it's okay. a problem if if you're if you go to the front pew and ostentatiously kneel. Well, then you know that might be a distraction to people. But if you're uh-huh. in the back and kneeling, eh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, I don't think it's a problem. You know, yeah, in the, I
1: think, in, yeah i think go years ago i think we did I, i'm trying to remember no, i, I when, don't
0: think no never I, I, I don't recall doing that no no it was it was sitting never. it was sitting because uh-huh. of course it's before the consecration and the lord is is not present in his body and blood in the same way so so no, i hope that helps kind a little of bit
1: asking him but, you know at that time making our well, petition we're
0: offering we're offering you know. No. I, you know, the custom has been as long as I can remember these many, many years has been sitting. You know, it's it's you know, there, there's there's once upon a time there were no pews in church and people sat or kneel um, or stood as they as they felt led. So, you know, but when I was young and there were pews in church, you sat in them. So I hope that helps a little bit, Sarah. One is not better than the other. It's it's what the Lord has asked you to do. All right, let's go to, to LaToy uh, in Texas. What can I do for you?
1: Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call.
0: Well, I have to do what my, can I do for
1: you. My question is, during Lent, as we recite our rosary, mm-hmm. uh, being the, the four mysteries, mm-hmm. which one during Lent should we concentrate on daily? Is there Again. Is a powerful one?
0: again it's uh, the rosary and i i try to say the rosary every day i have in my old age i have come to love the rosary greatly but it is still a private devotion it isn't part of the deposit of faith and we can if we're praying it by ourselves we can make those decisions ourselves you know there's no canon law saying thursday you must pray the the uh the uh, luminous mysteries um mm-hmm. on the other hand i think it's it's uh when you're praying with other people, uh, one should pray the customary uh, prayers uh, that one prays. But when you're praying by yourself, you can do it as you as you wish. To, what did I say? The Rosary today. Today I said the Glorious Mysteries <laughs> today. It's it's Wednesday. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I I don't say the sorrowful Mysteries every day during Lent. But if if you're so led, fine. You can do that. Uh, um awesome. It's when you're praying with other people that you have to you know, pray what is, you know, pray with them. You know, some people say, can I add this to the rosary? Sure, no problem. But don't do it when you're praying with other people. You know, pray the standard prayers. So I hope that helps, all right? Yes. God bless you. you. All right, thanks for listening. Let's go to Jeff from Slinger, Wisconsin. What can I do for you?
1: Hi, Father. I have a a question. I was listening to Kale Clark a little bit, and he mentioned the of the temple in 70 AD, when Israel was reestablished after the war, was there any ever thought of rebuilding the temple or doing something that after they got control again, or
0: could they? You've jumped jumped into it. Uh, The site of the temple is currently occupied by the Dome of the Rock, which is not a mosque. It is a shrine that encompasses the rock on which most scholars think the Holy of Holies was built. And then to the south of that is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the further mosque. And this site is very holy to Muslims, it's very holy to Jews, and it's very holy to Christians. Herein lies the problem. Now, there are different groups within the, the Jewish community of today. Some want to destroy the Dome of the Rock and rebuild the temple. And you can believe that there would be a war you wouldn't believe if that would happen. Then there are groups that say, no, only the Messiah can do that. The Messiah will rebuild the temple, do nothing. Uh, and then there are the secular Jews who say, who cares? You know, and when, when, the, when Jerusalem was, was, the old city of Jerusalem was taken by the, the Israeli state in the 1967 war, that government was essentially a Jewish but secular government. Uh, the state of Israel has become increasingly religious because uh, um, uh, the observant Jews simply have more children than secular Jews. And it's, it's the, the demographics of the state of Israel are changing hugely. Uh, and it's a source of great great stress and great tension because there are groups that vehemently want to take over the Temple Mount, as it's called, and um, it's a source of real um, tension. I don't know how else to put it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but is there groups that say in, we should does, rebuild yeah. the temple? Yeah. And in fact, is there, yeah. are, there are some groups that actually have all of the temple furniture ready to go when the Messiah comes <laughs> and rebuilds the temple. And uh, oh. that's very threatening to, to, to uh, Islamic people. So it's, yes. it's one of those hot-button issues. There you go. I hope that's, I hope All that right. answers your question, Jeff. Yes, very much. Thank <laughs> you, Father. Yes, yipe. All right, very good. Let's go <laughs> to Sebastian. Throw me a softball, Sebastian, from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh,
1: yes, Father. Um, I'm asking, I think you probably had this question asked you before, but uh, in the Old Testament, sure there are good figures heroic figures but there are so many bad figures like for example you know lot is spared in sodom and gomorrah and yet he gets into that drunken stupor Mm -hmm. thanks to his daughters and he has children with him or you know abraham and sarah and the thing about that being his sister that one you know less egregious because he just didn't want to have trouble but uh or, or even king david i mean I can kind of see sometimes why people argue that the God in the Old Testament is so different from the one in the New Testament. Um, so that was my question.
0: Well, I assume that you're not a Catholic priest and don't hear confessions. I hear confessions. People are no different in the New Testament than in the Old. Trust me. Human beings, uh, when left to their own devices, are capable of amazing things. And I don't mean that as a compliment. Um, you know, people get mad at me when I say this, but I know me, <laughs> and you know, uh, and, and I know a lot of other people. And most people mistake enlightened self-interest for morality. To be moral is mm-hmm. to love the good because it's good, and to hate the bad because it's bad. Most people... If I were to say I've got a bunch of free passes in my pocket, signed by God, and the bearer of this pass could do anything he wants for the next three days, even his wife, his mother, his kids won't mind. And I'd give them all away, but I'd keep one for me. There might be some banks I want to rob and some other things I want to do. You see, I don't fear immorality because it's immoral, but because I'll get caught. I'm being a little cynical here, but I think in general, this is true. And every once in a while, we, much to our own shock, find out that we actually are moral. There are just some things that we think are wrong because they're wrong. But human beings in general, it's, you look at history, there's a saying, history, read it and weep. You know, that, that, that without the, the gospel of Christ, human beings are capable of terrible things. You look at the Romans, unbelievable you know, the bodies in for instance Pompeii of slaves who were essentially chained to the wall and left to die. I mean these are human beings no it's 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 the same God loving Uh, loving people who were not good. And to me, this really convinces me of the truth of scriptures. People like David, people like Abraham, like Lot, they're painted in bright and vivid colors. And to quote Oliver Cromwell, warts and all. So the, the Bible is a record of history better than most histories. And speaking of history better than most histories, Drew is coming up and he'll tell you like it is. He always does.